Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Hari Kondabolu, the star of the Netflix stand-up special Warn Your Relatives and the critically acclaimed documentary The Problem with the Pooh. In 2018, he was named one of Variety's Comedians to Watch. He'll be in New York City headlining Carolines on Broadway from January 23rd to 25th. And now, here's our first letter. This one... Almost felt like a troll to me. Like I mm. almost hesitated including it because it kind of felt like somebody who's so familiar with the tropes of this column that they were like, I'm going to write from the perspective <laughs> of the like problematic grandma slash mother in law. How often does that happen? I, I'm not 100% sure that that's what this is, but I would say I much, much, much more often hear from the child of this letter writer mm. or the in law of this letter writer saying, like, how the hell do I get my mom or mother in law? To stop acting like eating granola bars is going to kill my children. But it's probably a good sign that you have a broad enough base where the parents are writing in, the grandparents are writing in and saying that, like, I mean, that's a lot of trust. You're not just seen as a, perhaps the voice of reason or a person to get advice from from the children, but from the grandparents. I trust this person's advice. They're not going to be biased because I'm older. Or rather... I, I I try to think ahead of time, like, here are my five biases that I'm bringing to the table. <laughs> Calibrate accordingly. Anyways, it's your turn to read a letter, and yes. I'm excited to hear you read this. Subject. Convenience is ruining grandchildren's health. So very clearly, the opinion has been stated right off. Yeah, you know, you know the letter writer's bias. Yes. Dear Prudence, my daughter, a loving mother of four, is extremely busy. The children are also constantly sick, and they then give it to her and or the hubby. Around and around they go. She does cook meals, but the majority of their nutrition is pre-made frozen boxed foods and sides. Kitchen is stocked with pre-packaged convenience foods, chips, granola bars, juice boxes, etc. And I am convinced they are not getting the nutrition their immune systems need. Extended life foods are full of preservatives, not nutrition. Because they're always on antibiotics, I'm afraid they will build a tolerance to it. How can I tell my daughter that she must cook more with real fresh ingredients so she can control what goes in her kids, and that convenience is meant only when in a pinch, without her thinking I'm calling her a bad mother? That's a hard one. Yeah, and I think the part that felt to me maybe either like tongue-in-cheek or a sort of like, I am writing this as a bit of a thought experiment was, how can I tell my daughter that she must control what goes in her kids? Which is just like, <laughs> did you think that was the most reasonable description of your perspective? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I grew up eating a lot of these prepackaged convenience store kinds of things, you know, lots of frozen dinners. And that's because like my mom got a job. When my brother and I were like in our, how do I, I don't, I want to, what's the opposite? What's late ones? If it's not teens, is that sure. it? Like eight or nine? Yeah. Or late ones. And um, 
that was what was available to us until she got home. So that's what we ate and it made life easier. And we didn't know how to cook, obviously, because we were in our ones. And so I, on one hand, I feel like, well, you know, things worked out for me. But secondly, I will also say I didn't really know much about nutrition until recent years because that really wasn't a priority because it couldn't be. You know, the assumption here is that it's only meant when you're in a pinch. I mean, do you actually know how busy your daughter and uh, son-in-law's life is? Do you actually know what their days are like? The concern is so clearly not for the son-in-law because partly I I understand because the daughter is your daughter, but it's also very clearly like the woman is responsible for making sure that the children are getting like perfect food. And if she's too busy, she's doing a bad job and I need to make sure she doesn't think I'm calling her a bad mother but obviously my son-in-law you know he's the dad he shouldn't have to worry about these things is like the clear through line here I mean is it fair as the grandma to if, if like she really worries about this to like cook a few meals and bring them to like if you're if you're gonna say this and be critical of your daughter is it fair then to be like well then why don't you you back it with food Yeah, I I think that's actually a really good idea because I think it would be easy for me to just be like, rethink all of this. But um, I do think if you can let go of your clear desire for control here, like you say, she should control what goes in her kids. And I just think that's too authoritarian an approach to take to parenting. I don't know how open you are to like letting go of some of these ideas, but like I just want to point out that like, you know, my parents made sure we all ate like, homemade nutritious super organic like food when i was a kid and i started chain smoking at 15 and i don't talk to my mom anymore <laughs> so like that's yeah, yeah, you know yeah. you're gonna be able to control what they eat less and less the more they grow up they're not gonna die from eating frozen food lots of frozen food is perfectly healthy like frozen vegetables are actually often more nutritious than fresh uh you know it's it's not great to eat nothing but processed foods but like they're also not going to die from eating granola bars and juice boxes. Also, has there been a scientific study that connects prepackaged uh, foods with immune systems being depleted? That, that felt was... a little vague to me. Like, yeah. I'm sure that there's plenty of persuasive evidence that it's good to eat fresh produce right. more than boxed stuff. But like the nutrition their immune systems need felt like, what nutri- what nutrient do you believe the immune system needs? Like, right. it's a complex series of systems. It's not just, like, this one. Uh, yeah, anyways, um, extended life foods are full of both preservatives and nutrition. You know how you can tell that? Because the kids are alive. Yeah. Like, if they really were malnourished, they'd be, I, I don't know, like, this whole, like, they get sick all the time. Like, yeah, there's four kids under the age of, like, 10. Kids get sick a lot, even if they eat nothing but, like, sweet potatoes and blueberries and like once a year a salmon that they befriended first is it fair for the grandmother to ask the daughter and or son-in-law how come the kids eat so many prepackaged foods no because she's busy and it's cheaper and because she's not getting the help that she needs i think that would be a question that would damage your relationship with your daughter um I, i think the thing to do would be to say i would love to if you're open to it Maybe bring over a casserole once a week that I could put in the freezer that you and the kids could have. Right. Would that be okay? And and if your daughter says, nope, we're good on food, let it go. 
Hmm. That, that would be me. I would I would incline that I would be inclined to tell this letter writer to like offer the smallest possible intervention that's basically just an offer to help. And if she doesn't want the help, you can't force it on her. I think if you try to get into a fight with your daughter about like I think your kids get colds a lot because you feed them juice boxes. That's a hell of an accusation. And I just don't think that there's a lot there. I think they get sick a lot because they're little kids and little kids get sick a lot. I don't know how often they're on antibiotics. I kind of am not inclined to think you have the most um, unbiased perspective here. So I wonder if it's just like once or twice a year a kid gets Mm. strep and goes on antibiotics and you're like, they're constantly being force-fed antibiotics I just don't know. I just don't know that that's actually the case here. What about those services that um, I, I'm blanking on any of them, like all of them? All right of now. them advertise on podcasts. Yes, exactly. I'm sure I'll be reading an ad for them later. Sure. Again, same thing. That might be. And I would I would offer that to both your daughter and son-in-law. Yeah. I think it's really important to challenge the part of you that sees food as your daughter's job. Yes, yes. Even if she is the one who does most of the cooking, which it sounds like she is. You don't have to perpetuate that. So make this offer to both of them. Say, would you use it? Would it be helpful to you? I don't want to do it if it would just be like sending yeah. stuff to the house that you wouldn't be able to do. But I would right. love to help out. And and like, and, is that a way that like if if prepping the food, buying the food, if all those things are parts of the reason why you don't have time, would it make it easier if everything was done for you and all you have to do is the bare minimum cooking? Would that make your life easier? Yeah. Yeah. And if they say no, I I think you got to let it go and you can invite, you know, and if that doesn't happen, say like, hey, I'd love to invite the kids over Thursday night and make supper so that the two of you can decompress. Right. And then, you know, I, I would also just say like convenience is meant only when in a pinch. It sounds like they're in a pinch a lot. Like you might have different definitions of what a pinch is, but Mm. like there's not one universal standard of what convenience is meant for. Convenience is meant for when you don't have a lot of time and energy. And if that's a lot of the time, the kids are alive. They're going to be fine. Right. If you would like to offer to either cook a little bit more often or pay for a meal service or invite the kids over and say, kids, here's spinach. Deal with it. (laughs) You know, all of those are interventions that I think as a grandma you can successfully make. Beyond that, I really think all you'll do is communicate to your daughter that you think she's a bad mother. And I don't see that resulting in her saying, please, mom, offer me more advice. I'd love to get your perspective more often. I welcome you to help me in the project of raising these kids. This next one um, subject is, how can I avoid ableism in a personal narrative about running? Dear Prudence, I'm an illustrator and I have a long form comic I've been working on about my personal experience with running and body acceptance. I have learned to appreciate my body for what it can do, not how it looks, and that there is no way to be a runner. I realize, though, that a message celebrating my physical capability, which is less than some more than others, could come across as ableist. Even if I am celebrating what my body allows me to do rather than how it looks, would that implicitly send a message to people who cannot run at all, which includes my own mother, who I love deeply, or who have otherwise limited physical abilities, that their bodies are less valuable. I thought about adding a couple of panels at the end addressing that, but then I feel like I would be speaking outside of my own experience and it could come across as condescending. How can I tell my personal story and communicate the positivity I have struggled to develop about running while honoring and not inadvertently hurting people who have had different experiences? I feel like I may be overthinking here. I think that they are overthinking. 
It's also, but I can also say that this sounds like a very good human being. Yeah, you sound thoughtful. Yes, you sound like you want to make sure that you write about your own experience in ways that don't, um, you know, hurt or uh, ignore other people, which is lovely. Yes, but I think the kind of way you can test drive this idea is: Do I believe that disabled people want me to stop talking about my own body? Is that something I think that they're asking of me? Have right. I ever heard anyone push for that? Because I think that. You know, not to make you feel like guilty, but I think there's actually a little the thought there is sort of like disabled people are mad at me for my body and my Mm. experience. I don't think that's what anyone who's involved in any kind of like disability, like liberation or activism is talking about. So no one no one wants you to apologize for enjoying running. I, I, I think that putting a panel at the end saying like. I'm sorry I talked about enjoying my own body in a new way. I should have begun by acknowledging that other people have bodies different than mine. I think that's a given when you are writing something autobiographical. Yes. It's very clear up front that you are writing about your personal experience with your personal body, which is not a comment on anyone else's. I mean, I've had a – as a stand-up comic who talks about their personal experiences and who also – you know, ventures into territory that isn't exactly about my personal experiences – but about my points of view on the world and, mm-hmm. you know, that my belief that justice should be available to all people. Mm-hmm. I understand that that trickiness of who is being left out of a conversation. Yeah. And intention, I think, to some degree does matter because, you know, this isn't an intent to exclude in a personal experience. It's a personal experience. So by its very nature, it has to exclude other people to some degree because it's about what you've experienced. Right. Literally writing about your experience running excludes everyone else in the world. Yes, which is okay. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's how, you know, you... It's how it works. That's how it works. So, and I think in that particular instance, I don't think it's, you know, I think it's different if it's a big Hollywood movie also. Sure. Or if you were editing an anthology sure. about, like, exercise. Yes. And you had 30 contributors and nobody had a disability. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. At that point, it would be totally fair to ask the question of, like, um, who am I ignoring? Who am I yes. leaving out of the story? But when, my goodness, when it comes to writing about your own experience as a runner, it is a given that you will be writing about your own experience. I think it would read as at best unnecessary and at worst, like, condescending yeah. or just totally tone deaf to say, by the way, I just want to like write that I know that not everybody runs, not everybody can run. I'm sorry I wrote about running. Like none of that materially helps anybody else's lives better. Like if you're if you if you want to do something, you know, find like a local group that like pushes for increased like ADA compliance Mm. in public buildings. Make sure that more like public restrooms are accessible. Make sure that there's like more ramps in your city. Make sure, you know, uh, there's there's other ways to uh, advocate for that without um, saying, sorry, I wrote about my body today. I do, again, appreciate the thoughtfulness, though. Absolutely. Yeah. None of this is to say, like, never do this again. You way overthink this. Like, I totally appreciate that you are thinking carefully about how to make sure that other people feel welcomed, included and seen in your work. That's lovely. All right. So this next one uh, is called Touch Starved, which is always whenever I see that phrase, it's so immediately like. Oh, I picture it and I feel for that person. Mm. I, I, I know what they mean when they say that. That is a, an ache. Dear Prudence, 
I am an aromantic, asexual person and generally an introvert. I moved to a new city and making friends have has indeed been difficult, and I only have two friends here. I'm finding now that I crave touch, just a hug or even somebody touching my arm. Whenever I go back to my hometown, I meet up with all my friends and we hug each other in greeting. I just don't have that here, and my two friends are both men. I feel a closeness with them that would normally include hugging and the occasional friendly touch, but it's been different with my men friends. I once asked one of them if I could give him a hug, and he was perfectly fine with it. But it didn't really come naturally. Is there anything I can do? Hmm. I think there's a couple of things that are available to you, none of which is going to address this overnight. But I, I think it's important to think about what are th- how can I maximize the ways that I receive touch so that I don't just think it's just about these two people? Um, so like, obviously touching animals is not the same thing as being touched by other people, but if you have any spare time to say volunteer at a local animal shelter, sometimes it feels just like really fucking good to hold a cat or hold a dog, um, or like get the kind of like physical affection that an animal can give you. That's just like, it's a warm little body. It's a fuzzy little heartbeat. This animal's thrilled to see me. That's meaningful. Um, that might be helpful to you. I think also, you know, as long as both of your men friends are cool with it, I think a hug, hello and goodbye is totally reasonable amount of physical interaction to want to introduce to your relationship so just saying like i actually really love hugging if you're okay with it i would love to like hug when we say hello and goodbye and it's okay that it doesn't come naturally right away like that will come with time as you build the kind of like physical and emotional trust that comes with hugging your friends and also you're in a new city so you're going to meet new people you're gonna you know you're gonna continue developing friendships and and that being said I assume that's going to lead to a higher probability of uh, of, of physical touch. Um, here's a question, Danny. If how do you feel about these cuddling? Like, there's places where you can pay for a cuddling session. Right. I have heard of these. I feel like there was a documentary a couple of years ago that was about like cuddling and maybe tickling, and then it also turned into pornography. I think. But for those, but if it, if it, sorry, I was just like that sounded like a fascinating documentary. That's not the question here. We're talking about non-sexual stuff. But um, if it's if it's you know if if there is a place that you can pay for a half hour of cuddling, for example, I th- is that wrong? No, my under I mean, my understanding of those things is that they usually tend to be like you, um, either they're free events or you like pay to rent the space. So it's not that you're like paying an individual. It's more like there's an entrance fee so that everybody can like make sure that there's space available for like the cuddle party. Huh. I've heard of cuddling like people who are paid to. That's great. I mean, you could absolutely also contact a sex worker and say like whatever your normal hourly rate is. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm an asexual person, but I really fucking miss cuddling. Are you available for that? And you can right. negotiate with um, them. So that's also an option. Um, but I also think like you know, seeking out new friends, maybe who are not men, um, and not to say you want to get rid of your old friends. And again, I know that will take time. You can't just go out and find instant hugging friends. Um, but but lots of people are comfortable like offering a hug or like a quick shoulder pat relatively quickly into mm-hmm. getting to know somebody. Those are relatively low impact touches. And I, I say that again, like wanting to acknowledge lots of people also aren't comfortable with that at all. So I, I'm not saying that that's a guarantee. I would also maybe like seek out queer events in your city oftentimes there's a real sense of like i mean also there's lots of like you know infighting and incest and stuff like that i mean queer incest not like actual people hooking up with their blood relatives um 
But often there's a sense of uh, like a real shared like family, a real shared community. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that you will automatically like only meet people you love and who implicitly like recognize and welcome you. There's always like a struggle to find your people within the community. But sometimes that can be easier than when you're trying to make friends with a lot of straight people who are like, oh, I hug and touch my monogamous partner. And when they die, I don't know what I will do. Like, that is how much I have thought about touch. And that's, sorry, that's not all straight people. But sometimes I think it can be the case. And there's a little bit of a sense of like, oh, other people touch? I, I don't know. That might be terrifying. So these are a lot of different options. None of them are going to resolve this immediately. And I also understand there's a difference between feeling touch starved in a way that's like, I would just like to be in a room with somebody warm and empathetic who wants to cuddle with me and then part ways. And I can also understand feeling like I would really want to get to know somebody who really likes me and wants a continued ongoing friendship with me, who's also okay with hugging hello and goodbye, maybe like cuddling up while we watch a movie, maybe just patting me on the back. Those are two different things. And I think that's also worth seeking out, but make this a real priority. I know you say you're introverted. So figure out how much time you want to make sure that you bake into each week where you know you'll be alone. But Put, put high on your priority list, making new friends in my city who are down to hug. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. <laughs>